Welcome to the Work Before the Work podcast for account executives, SDRs and sales professionals looking to prospect better, sell more and get promoted faster. I'm Paul M. Caffrey, co-author of the Work Before the Work and in each episode we deconstruct the hidden habits elite sales professionals use to outperform the competition. Please share and enjoy. It's great to have you on the show. I think that we we want to make it an effort to have more sales focused conversations. You know, we're all over the place. We're kind of focusing on on this agency audience, um, and it, I think that that also the the topic of your book and like focusing on preparation is just is is really timely. Um, it's just sort of been in my head lately. I, I listen to sometimes Alex Ramosi's stuff, and he talks a lot about like the bar is so low, right? Like if you, if you just do a little bit of prep, you look like a, a mad genius, like a professor X sometimes. So I think you're, you're onto something here. Um, I guess before we get in, get into the book, would you mind talking about your background a little bit and how you built this experience and so on? Yeah, look, absolutely. Thanks, Dan. And you're a big fan of Alex Ramosi and everything he's doing. It's uh, it's super to see what's going on there. So for me, I'm 15 years uh, in in the tech sales space. And I reached a point where, um, yeah, forced to maybe I picked the right industry to, to jump into. I was initially a research scientist going to, you know, cure the world for cancer. All research got cut for that. So I switched careers and ended up working in sales. And what I found was with sales, you reach a point where your performance becomes optimal and you are working all the hours that you have. And very like agency owners, founders, people who are starting out as well you reach you very quickly, you can't do any more. So I was fortunate enough to come across Todd Herman and his great elite performance uh, work and did a bit of work with him in an online course many years ago, which was fantastic, called the 90 day year. We're checking out even now, I think it's still running, which is the sign that something is truly valuable. And what, uh, what the outcome of that was in sales, I realized that the only way to actually continue to grow and to get better and to become even more elite was to bring in preparation and professional preparation into uh, what you do. So I was able to do that. And then year after year after year, you know, success kept coming, kept coming, working with like businesses such as salesforce.com, who some people may have heard of, had a really, really great time there. I reached a point where I was coaching a lot of account executives, sales professionals in general. I was working with a lot of founders and people who were growing businesses and even the odd time speaking about the topic. And I realized that the one thing everybody had in common was they wanted to be elite at, at, at sales, particularly they wanted to be elite around their business and they didn't bring preparation to it. And that was the one thing holding, holding them back. So I decided to step out and actually focus on this full time. Um, wrote a book on the topic called The Work Before the Work. And it's where I shared the hidden habits elite sales professionals use to outperform the competition. I was fortunate enough to partner with Phil M. Jones on that project. And now Phil has the number one listen to book on Audible. Um, it's exactly what to say. Fantastic book, something I'd recommend people check out. And we had this similar mindset of wanting to bring elite performance to the masses. And the great thing is, as you've alluded to, most people don't prepare. They jump in, they do the activities, they work really hard. They get a level of success, which will come out of doing that, but then they plateau. And for me, it's how do we take a step back, bring preparation in so that our results are actually um, much, much better uh, and much stronger than just they would be if we don't. 
So essentially, that's where it all came from. And yeah, the last few years have been just uh, so much fun. Fantastic. And thanks for that. And yeah, um, feels great. Another friend of the show. Uh, I love that book as well. So when I think about when I think about preparation, I think that that kind of hit me where I live because I've been doing sales a long time. Um, and we have consultants, we've, you know, we optimize our processes, we have scripts, we're kind of running through, you know, similar, if not the same motions each time. But I think preparation sometimes um, is kind of this gray area for me, because for, for a couple of reasons, I think one is just like everybody time and bandwidth and figuring out where to put your resources. And I think the other is, I'm not sure what exactly it looks like, right? Because it's like, yes, some research, checking out the website, the LinkedIn, seeing who you have in common, the basic stuff. But then I'm like, okay, where does that extra work go? Because it's like, I know our ICP or our market pretty well. I have the questions. I know people are going to have one of like a small handful of problems. How, how do you how do you think about that work? What does the preparation look like? Yeah. Uh, so the preparation, um, I suppose in this instance, it feels like you're you're speaking about prospecting, reaching out to potential clients and, and in that sort of world, Dan? Yeah, I, I guess to, to hone in it a little bit, I guess I'm thinking about those first calls when somebody's agreed, whether it's a qualification call or a later call. Yeah. yeah. So what we'll find is that um, no matter how prepared you are or no matter how much you know about someone's business, they want to do business with you because you've got the expertise and they think that you've got the solution to a problem they have. Okay. So you do need to know your own service. You do need to know the outcomes that you can bring. You do need to know how to articulate the successes that past customers and current clients have had with your service. But most people know that to an extent. So that, that's a starting point. Are you able to actually tell a compelling uh, you know, outcome or customer story? Do you have two or three of those that will resonate that are maybe somewhat similar to where that person is at? And do you know what you're talking about, the industry piece? Most people have a, a good level of that. And I guess with your audience being agency owners, that sort of thing will be pretty comfortable getting to that. Preparation is what takes you from the other person being skeptical, disinterested, forgetting about why they even agreed to speak with you or even wondering why they've stayed on the phone with you if it just happens to, you happen to have caught them at the time, to being really engaged, to wanting to hear what you have to say, to being able to solve their problem. So um, really what I think about is there are three things to consider when we're, we're doing the preparation. The first is we want to make sure that the person understands we want to do business with them. The second is we want to grab their attention. And then the final piece then is we have their attention. We want to transition into something which is going to be relevant for them. You do have to guess a little bit at this, and it is a little bit of an educated guess. So there is nothing that says you're going to listen to somebody more than telling them something or sharing something about them or their business that they didn't expect you to know. So again, that is something that you can find out in advance. So have they changed premises? Have they signed up a couple of new clients that are case studies on the website? Have they, you know, been acquired by somebody or are they in a partnership with someone? Like there is generally typically something out there from a business sphere that, that we can find out. Then it's also from a personal perspective. Are they active on social media? Are they on LinkedIn? Have they liked the post? Have they commented on something? Is there something there that we can kind of latch on to very, very quick? And where we're at is bringing that piece and then having a, we probably can have four or five different things we help businesses solve really well probably more than that but there's probably you know three or four core things 
having a perspective of, I think I'm going to be able to help you with X. I think this is the problem. I think this is the reason. Hopefully, if it's qualification, you may have even had a little snippet of that beforehand. So it is opening up the conversation, um, you know, being appreciative of them taking the time to, to meet with you. But then in that first 90 seconds, two minutes, dropping in that thing that they don't expect, showing that you've done your research, showing that you're a little bit more interested in doing business with them than perhaps the other two competitors who just went straight into there. Oh, how are you? Did you see the game last night? Building fake rapport, taking a chance on that. Then the rest of your conversation is the same. And then you, but what you're doing is you're getting them to lean in, get interested, maybe be a little bit surprised that you know something like that. And it just starts your conversation off in, a, in the right direction. The rest of the conversation can be the same. But getting that particular, that starting point off, that is the focus. Yeah, I, I really like that because it's like, I think implicitly you're acknowledging that there's like a finite amount of real estate or time in that call. And that usually the beginning that's filled with fake rapport, which is nice. You know, it's better than nothing. But that could that space could be filled with, with hey, I saw that you clicked on this. I saw that we know these people in common. I saw that this thing recently happened in your company. So something that's directed towards what they're up against in the business. So that all makes sense to me, yeah. Especially if somebody has filled something out, if they fill out a questionnaire and they've ended up in your calendar like that, actually taking the 30 seconds to read that and, and have a question ready based upon that. You know, for example, oh, you gave yourself a seven out of 10 for your ability to run discovery sessions. You know, what do you think is preventing you from being a 10? Or it looks like this is really good, but this other area you're lacking in. Can we expand upon that? Or if, you know, if they spoke to somebody else in your company and now it's come to you as, as the expert or the knowledgeable person, calling out that you've actually spoke to that last person and that they don't have to repeat themselves. What I really want is when you're speaking with somebody in a sales call, um, I don't want, and I think it's terrible when people ask information to that person or about the business that can be easily Googled because then you are just wasting time. We want to get to the business problem, understand, well, what do they think the cause of that problem is? Do we have a solution to that cause or do we not? And then we know, do we invest more time in this or do we maybe refer them off to somewhere else so that we can spend time working on the clients that we can actually convert versus just filling our calendar, speaking to everyone, hoping to get as many people through a sales cycle so that we convert just enough to keep things going. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing that I, I love about your book is that you acknowledge that there's a finite amount of time and bandwidth in people's lives, which I think a lot of business books don't do, right? Because there's so many sales books, business books we read that are like, here are all the things you should do to be amazing. And it's like, okay, if, if I was a, you know, a master AI that could replicate myself a thousand times, this would might be attainable, but alas, that's, that's not the case. So I'll maybe for six months anyway, who knows? Well, we're getting there. Yeah. So with that in mind, can you talk about that framework a little bit? How are you deciding how much to prepare, who to give your attention to, who not to, and so on? Yeah, and I, th I think what's really crucial is, is the amount of preparation you look to put in for something is really dependent on the payoff or the potential outcome that's going to come your way. Uh, so, for example, um, I've got some clients and they might spend two whole days or in some cases two whole weeks preparing for a sales meeting. And then you might go, well, that sounds absolutely ludicrous, but they're working in enterprise space. They've got deals worth millions. They may only have two or three of these in the whole year. So for them, that merits that level of work. 
Whereas if it's a case that you do, let's say you do five sales meetings a week, um, you'd be in the position of going, well, I, you know, if I do five sales meetings a week, maybe I close one or two, you know what your numbers are. So then you can put the amount of preparation time according to the potential payoff. So uh, in that instance, you know, maybe it's 15 minutes or maybe it's 20 minutes of preparation time that you do because it is somewhat high volume high volume um, and it is still a, a good value but maybe not going to dictate if you're successful or if you fail and the same for people if you are looking at um you know if you want to get a strategic partnership in place for your agency you may put a lot of time in to prepare for that you may have a couple of people you want to actually partner with that could be something you work on over a longer time horizon uh, versus um, I don't know, we're going to run an event with another, we're going to partner with someone for an event and that's just going to happen next month. So we'll put a little bit less into that because it is a one-time thing as opposed to a partnership that will last uh, over for the long haul. Right, right. That that makes sense. And you've got to kind of, you know, think about that the right way and budget your time correctly. And um, you have a really great framework for this. And I, it's funny because you, you make a disclaimer in the beginning of the book that's like, there's not going to be hacks and tricks and everything and the questions seem a little bit basic, but then I think they're really good prompts for thinking time, which is a concept that is probably not from Keith Cunningham originally, but he's something somebody that I think writes about this really well, which is the idea of budgeting time for thinking deeply about things. Um, would you mind, without giving away your whole book, <laughs> and I won't, I won't uh, regurgitate everything in the book back right now, but would you mind talking about that a little bit? Like, what are some of those prompts that you're going through before you're getting on a sales call typically yeah look absolutely and uh, there are essentially six habits that elite salespeople do and where this came out of um because i went from the realms of being a top performer that was inconsistent to being a consistent top performer to being a consistent elite performer i was constantly looking at how everybody was doing this and i was asking the top sales professionals who were ahead of me at the time how do you do this what are you actually doing and their answers, I sell. I'm meeting my customers. I sell. I'm a prospect. As if to say, you're crazy. Just do your job. And what the truth of it is, that's when I realized it had become so habitual, so ingrained in them, they didn't know what they were doing. And they couldn't explain it. So after a long time, I realized, okay, now I've seen it. And there are essentially six questions to run through, which can be super, super powerful for people. So what you want, let's say, for preparing for, um, you know, a meeting coming up, which we would, you know, could be a qualification call, could be a discovery call, could even be a, you know, a final uh, commercial uh, presentation, whatever it may be. It's look, thinking about it from the state, the point of view of yourself, from the person you're meeting, and then any other stakeholders that might have a somewhat vested interest. So, for example, that could be maybe that business has some investors. Um, you know, maybe there's partners, in, if it's a bigger company, maybe there's other parts of the business that could benefit from your solution in, in a lesser way. So they might be intrigued as regards if what's going to happen there. Uh, and then obviously from yourself, what do you want out of it? Typically, if we're speaking to somebody, taking them through a sales cycle, we want the business. Hopefully we have qualified it. So it's good business for us to go after versus bad business, which is just, you know, filling a gap in our revenue funnel. Well, let's presume it's, it's the good business and the business we want. So we're going into whether, whichever meeting this is, it's asking yourself, you know, what am I looking to achieve? You know, what is the ideal outcome for me in this meeting? Um, what is the current situation? So where are things at today? How far away am I from actually getting there? And then it's into, well, what's the decision-making process? So 
what decisions will have to be made for uh, me to go from being at this current situation to achieving that? And asking that same question from the perspective of the person that you're meeting. So what do they want to achieve out of the meeting with you? Where are they currently at? And how are they looking to make a decision? So what we could turn into is all of a sudden, instead of just going in and relying on hope, then we uh, are in the position of going into the meeting and going, okay, well, I, I think I know where they are. I think I know where I am. I think I know what the situation is. I think I know what needs to happen or to, for a decision to be made. And I want to give somebody the ability to make a confident yes, no decision at the end of this typical most sales meetings is that way. And then you're into, okay, great. Well, how do I, how do I get there? So how am I going to start to meet and how am I going to deliver the message? How am I going to go from where I am to where I want to be? Then it's a case for sometimes some of the bigger pieces or some of the um, more complex sales. It might be, well, well what might be a, you know, a sign of progress? So if I'm in the meeting, what's a sign that I'm progressing towards it? Is it a, they like our agency? They like the solution that we're offering? Um, but if they don't connect that to an outcome they're working towards, well, well, that would be a sign of me progressing towards a decision or a confident yes, no decision. If I don't get to that kind of middle marker, then maybe I'm missing the, missing the trick. So you have to think about what needs to happen throughout that meeting for you to know you're on the right track. And then it's how do you measure success? And in sales, I always think success is not so much about whether you've won the deal. You know, that is an outcome and you'll win deals, you'll lose deals. Well, it's have you taken that prospect to be able to make that yes or no decision? Because ultimately, a lot of people get a bit of interest, take people along, and then there's, oh, I'm not too sure. I'll come back to you. Oh, maybe. And what we've realized is we haven't helped them make a decision. So they sit in our pipelines too long, frustrates us, pretty annoying for them when we're reaching out consistently. And then it's a case of taking like those those six questions, and you can apply that to your you know, just one part of your sales meeting, you can apply that to a whole sales cycle or even applying it to your whole year. Uh, and essentially then it's into the realms of, well, if it's a bigger outcome task, then we go into each question in a little bit more detail. And if it's a lesser outcome task, we go into each one less. Or even if it's a chance encounter, we just ask ourselves two questions. Is what is the person I'm meeting uh, looking to achieve? How are they going to achieve that? Actually, what would I, what am I what would I like to achieve and how am I going to achieve this? Well, let's say you meet somebody at a conference you'd love to do business with. All of a sudden, instead of just been talking about the weather, the commute, or how can you decide to take a day out of the office to be here, it turns into a, oh, they're, they're here, they're doing this CX role, there's this conversation happening over here, or I met this person over there. You start thinking about how you can help them, how you can serve them, about what they might be looking for. They get really energized. They get really happy that you're actually putting them first. Human nature, law of reciprocity kicks in. So then they're trying to help you because those chance encounters, those unexpected conversations, they're rarely with the person that we want to do business with. But that person often knows people who we would like to do business with. And if we've served them in that conversation, there's a greater chance of us being remembered and being mentioned later on in the day and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. Um, to hone in on one of those points, I think you mentioned, you know, helping them make a decision and the fact that most salespeople aren't good enough at this and it just leaves them falling up, being annoying, getting ignored, and so on. Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit? How are the how are the elite salespeople better at helping decisions happen? The elite salespeople, um, and I guess that keyword is elite versus salespeople. They genuinely care about the outcome that the person is working towards. 
and they are curious they're looking to try solve that problem and they're also brave in the fact of even if the customer are saying all the right things and yes they want to go ahead but then you've noticed something which i'm not quite sure that aligns because that this problem over here they'll also mention that because they don't want uh, the other person to naturally make a mistake which kind of flies in the face of that traditional salesperson that we think that's gregarious sales monster just there's a chance to close something so they go and close it and that is the difference the you know good sales people okay sales people are thinking towards getting the deal closed the elite sales people are thinking about when the customer is going to get value and achieve the outcome from what they're what they're selling so that means rather than talking about close dates and, and implementations they're more talking about well when the value is coming out of this and when certain milestones are achieved and then the customer themselves they start um like it's a subconscious thing but it is an important thing they start the, their perception of success from what you're providing to them is that bit higher uh, and so then they're in a, a greater state of actually going right i'm ready to actually make a decision and go ahead with this because of x y and z or the elite sales professional realizes that well we might not achieve this we may not be getting to that stage maybe that's not going to be realistic and there are these problems that are going to happen what are, what are you going to do if this team is too slow to actually start using this or if there's pushback from the organization and then we get to a stage where we realize maybe it's not a fit and it's not going to work for these for for x y and z reason or we realize actually i can do this i can do that your team could do something else or we could change what we're doing and then we, we bring along success so it's more speaking to this successful outcome which is maybe three six nine months after you of use of your service so I think that is a real key difference. Yeah. And there's a couple of things you said that I think are really, really important. One that I've seen with salespeople we've hired and, and the process of training and being trained is like, there's this tendency to just gloss over the landmine that's going to blow up the deal later, you know, yeah. or that will prevent somebody from getting value. And then what happens is people gloss over it, invest a lot more time and resources, and then it still blows up as opposed to dealing with it yeah. right away, which we all, we've, we've all dealt with. Um, and one, one thing that I, that I think you also said is the idea of focusing on outcomes and not onboarding and, you know, set up and your capacity and all these things. And I think we've, we've been guilty of that. I know a lot of our clients have as well, where it's like, you want the deal to close. And it's like, for us to successfully onboard you, we've got this many spots. Here's our team schedule versus six months down the line. Hey, if you actually want to get ROI on this, this is when it's going to happen. It's going to happen in June. You know, is that okay with you? Or do you want it to happen sooner? You know, so I yeah. think that that really jumps out to me. Um, one one thing that you you cover in the book is the idea of of the best salespeople involving the team effectively. Uh, I think in the agency space, this happens badly <laughs> in a lot of ways, in that people teams are brought in either too early or too late, and too early it wastes a lot of time. You know, if you if you're thinking about hourly rates and you have high specialized people and they're all in a room that's an expensive sales process very quickly. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, and I guess the um, like the, the key piece is you want to have a sales process that you're following, which is, it's not going to be repeated exactly the same all the time, but it is repeatable. And if you don't follow it, well, then you're deviating away from it for a particular reason. 
And I think what's really, really important is in those early meetings that it is pretty much predominantly just the salesperson um, or the person who's taking the lead on selling it. And they do a really good qualification and they do a really good discovery. And how you know you've done a really good discovery session is you know the outcome that your, uh, your, your prospect is working towards. You are agreed on what the problem is, which is preventing them to get there. And the most important part is you've then uncovered what they believe to be the cause of the problem. And that cause of the problem is something is a feature or benefit or something specifically that you're a service you offer or something that your product actually does. And that uh, prospect has verbalized, it would be great. I could solve this problem and I could reach this outcome if I had. And then it was inserting your, uh, your product or service. And then it's also the case of, and if they don't do it by a certain time, so whatever that compelling event may be, then there is going to be this much pain felt, whether it's missed opportunities, whether it is, you know, bottlenecks in the business, whether it is something else. But typically we want it to be for something. And it's at this point, typically, where we want to go, okay, we've qualified really well. And we think if we take this person through our process we have a great chance of them converting and doing business with us. And that's when you want to be bringing in the other more expensive resource. If it's a technical team to scope out something, if it's a creative team to do a bit of work that's needed to uh, flesh out the idea or whatever that may be. And it's bringing them in at a, at a time and giving them a brief, which is really clear of where you're going towards, what you've what you expect of them. But then also importantly, before you get into the realms of spending your expensive resources on a sales piece, because we really want them maybe more delivering than in the sales process, it's having agreement with the prospect that I'm going to put resource in, you're going to put a lot of resource and a lot of time into this, we're working towards this outcome, and how we're going to get there is X, Y, and Z, and I know as an agency owner that these uh, these projects, they typically stall if we don't have X person involved on your side, be that a, you know, an executive or be that a technical person or whatever. Um, so can we get a plan together where actually we'll get that person involved? And I know that sometimes there's issues getting those people involved. So what are we going to do that's going to stop that from being an issue for you? And then straight away, what you're doing is you're signposting that you're working together as a team. You've also qualified everything that is needed for the project to be successful. And you've also called out that I think there's going to be problems on your side, which could lead to me having to use my resource multiple times. How do we stop that from happening? And they're then working with you as opposed to, I guess, you going to this one person and them getting tired or them getting a bit embarrassed that they haven't been able to follow through, bring somebody in and you're having to repeat sort uh, resources. So, um, I mean, that would really be the, the focus I would have, I would say, in that situation. Yeah, I like that. So you're kind of calling out the issue and then dealing with it up front. Um, to, to, maybe this is a little bit tactical, but I think a lot of the times information is being gathered in different ways all throughout the process, right? So you have maybe somebody's yeah. booking on a calendar link, they're filling out a form, you're having an in-depth qualification call. Maybe that's with one salesperson or maybe it's with multiple, like a BDR sort of yeah. model. Then you might have questionnaires, you know, might have people fill out stuff. Um can you talk about that a little bit? If there's this grand, you know, schematic of information you need to get, 
how how should you pres- how should you acquire that information because sometimes some information is better acquired live and from talking to people other others it's better to give people the privacy of typing answers and thinking more um can you talk about that process a little bit yeah i guess um what you're what you're really looking at is the the information that you're looking to gather from let's say a, a questionnaire or whatever um if that can be maybe more factual uh, a more to the point and pretty you know fast to to collect information and then if we're looking at the information where we're going to actually um we want to get that person to open up and we want to go a little bit below you know the surface level that's where it needs to be a bit of a conversation so for me i'm really looking at there's kind of there's two aspects to it right there's the qualification side so the qualification side can be a calendly it can be a couple of questions and from a qualification piece, what we're really looking to do is um, high level, figure out who we could sell to. <clears throat> Excuse me. And if there was people that we couldn't, we can't sell to, that they're gone at this point. So if they operate in a geography that we don't want, or if they operate, if they use a system that we can't integrate with, or if you know they're simply too small uh, or whatever that might be. So that that first qualification piece is really just making sure that we go from a lead, which is someone interested in us, to taking them to being a qualified lead, which is somebody that we can sell to. Key difference, because we get a lot of interest. So that's one thing. And that can be a combination of just, you know, filling out your form, because that's pretty standard yes, no, somewhat, you know, straightforward information. You're using the BDR, SDR you want them to go a little bit further and you know understand an outcome or a compelling event that people are working towards or you know if there's traditional budget for your services what that kind of looks like or if there isn't how that might go to be created but again if you know people will have their own feel for that in their agency and then you're into i guess that's the qualification piece then you're into the discovery and taking somebody to the rest of the sales process and this is the part where it's a little bit more in depth so I guess the way to look on it is the first answer people give is typically it's something that makes them sound good, but it may not be the real reason because they may not have actually thought about the outcome that they're missing out on or the problem or what actually happens if the problem continues over a long period of time. Sometimes it's conversational that needs to do that. So um, that would be the the piece, getting that into the, the pain. And it's down to the, it's down, what would I say? It's, it's down to the size of the problem for the individual. Again, so if it's a big ticket item, always going to be a conversation. If it's, you know, maybe not so big ticket, you can maybe sometimes do that to a group um, or with uh, questions that go three levels deeper. So if you're going to be doing it and you're selling by, let's say, chat or you're selling by questionnaire, it's um, okay. Well, what do you think is going to you know prevent you from being successful? They'll say, you know, they'll say something and you go, okay, and what else? And, you know, they, you know, they'll say something else. And if there was one more thing and then you're into the level of, right, that's probably where it is. And then your questions can be going along those lines to get the, the real pain, which some people don't know. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different frameworks for sales and a lot of them kind of like hone in on, on focusing on the individual. Is there anything that, you know, you think is underappreciated with that? And I, to frame that out a little bit more, I think a lot of the times we just assume like, okay, well, you talk to somebody about your offer and, you know, they're like, okay, well, I'm not going to get fired if this goes, goes wrong. But, you know, it's like either fear of getting fired or aspiration to get promoted. 
and it feels kind of like hollow a little bit, I guess. What are some of the other considerations on the individual level that you think people should have in mind? Yeah, well, I guess one of the one of the things um, to have in mind, and you won't always get it, is um, we always hear this word: "Are they a champion?" So, are they your champion? Are they your main point of contact? Yeah. And the you know the definition of a champion when you're selling to somebody is um, the organization will benefit and will have all that stuff, but then the individual will benefit as well with your solution versus nobody else's. So, it might take them a step towards that promotion it might get them that annual you know performance review score to get them a bump in their salary it may be something else so if you can understand well what's the successful project mean for this person and what does an unsuccessful project mean for this person then you know how much they're they're going to support you if you're dealing with somebody who you know doesn't really care isn't too bothered by it which can happen you know maybe that's not on the table or it's you know it's just it's not on their agenda right now they're focusing on their family so they're just doing doing the bare minimum um that's when you want to look at multi-threading the deal multi-threading is great to do uh, more often but if you don't have those that bite of that individual actually taking ownership being rewarded being successful for you being successful uh, with what you deliver um, there may be others in the organization who will. So let's say your head of whatever doesn't really care, but if there's a director and it turns out, yeah, they've got equity in the business and for them, actually, it is much more compelling and much more important, then you may be onto something. Uh, and that, that works around, you know, for different parts uh, of the business. So again, the more people involved, the greater chance you have of finding that tipping point, which is going to get you over. Right, right. That that makes a lot of sense. And I think one one sort of uh, paradigm we get presented with a lot is, you know, painkiller versus vitamin, if you've heard of that. Like, are you selling something that cures pain or are you selling somebody this crazy aspiration? From studying a lot of elite salespeople, do you find that there's one of those they emphasize more than the other? Or is that paradigm even correct? And yeah, how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's uh, it, it comes down to the individual that you're selling to, okay? So uh, when you're early on, let's say you're in a qualification call or you're chatting uh, in an initial discovery session with somebody, if you just take a note of the words they use, are they using words like struggle, frustration, challenges, and they're kind of unloading a lot of negative words, um, what you're... Where you're kind of, it's a subconscious warning that, okay, this person has been unsuccessful for a while and they may not be actually buying the services they should be buying. They may not be making the right decisions. They might actually be sitting in indecision. So it's a little bit of a, a concern. Uh, and in that instance, they're the people who will be looking to, you know, what is less painful, struggling with the current situation for another six or 12 months, or actually bringing you in and having you're going through your implementation and adding everything else up versus um, then you might hear people in a qualification or discovery and they're, they've got words like they have ambition, they're talking about goals, they're talking about growth, they're talking about what went well before, what went well uh, previously. Um, and they're the ones to be more oriented towards um, going towards that growth piece. Um, ultimately, what we're looking for is an ideal situation is we want somebody who's got the the more positive, ambitious words being used. And then we want the business to have to make a decision 
and then there is a negative financial or some sort of implication by a certain date if they don't do make this decision and if they do make the decision and your solution works for them then they'll actually then grab uh, some market share and some more positive outcomes so the what i would say is you can sell to both um, but be wary about putting too much time or too much effort into people who are using a lot of the negative words at the start and be wary of working with people who don't maybe have that compelling event, don't have that fire, could just go another six months without making a decision because you know, those two ends of the spectrum will waste a bit more time for you. And again, in retrospect, oh, I, I, now that makes sense why that deal was in the pipeline so long. But at the time, you kind of miss that. You don't notice it. Yeah, I'd love to dig into that a little bit more because so so you're if I understood right, um, you think that you should de-emphasize the people that are complaining and have more more of a pain motivation. Why, why is that? Because that's uh, you hear the opposite of that a lot, where it's like, yeah, if they've got bleeding neck pain, like that's that's a hot lead, right? So yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, on absolutely, that. because that that's that's the way we're traditionally trained is oh, there's some pain, and okay, I can solve that pain, so let me go and actually sell so what generally happens is we come on pain demo indecision drives us mad and so what it ultimately comes down to is um it's that person can still be talking about being in pain but it's how they're talking about it so if it's a, a, a case of the business is really struggling and we've tried so many different things and this just isn't working and that and yeah no we really need a solution here and you know with blah, blah, blah. you're kind of okay warning signs warning signs lots of lots of negativity all this stuff there versus if they're saying yeah we've you know the business has a challenge with this but you know we've tried that and we've saw some improvement and we've put this temporary solution in play and that's been somewhat good and then we're working towards this thing it's the way they're speaking about it and it's latching on to how that person is speaking will actually then see um you're going to have more chance of success with the person who speaks about it in a more positive in a more straightforward way versus the person who just is struggling and complains and then what we want to look at is you get the pain so even if it's from the person who's negative about it or the person who's positive about it it's what's the cause of the pain and are they in agreement what that cause is and does your solution directly address the cause or does your solution not? And ultimately, then that is, you know, whether, you know, you want to keep going at that or you don't. Um, what you'll find is the negative, struggling, down person with all the pain rarely actually give you an accurate cause. Hmm. So then they have a problem. You have a product that can that can actually solve that problem but that negative person stays in that negativity a bit too long and doesn't actually connect the cause of their problem with your solution so it, it is something i guess in a podcast it's hard to dig into in the depth it requires but just listen to the listen to the language listen to the words that people are using in those discovery and initial calls and get them to share what they think the cause is those two things alone if you have both of those you will you've a really good chance of progressing that deal along. Yeah, that's that's super interesting and a little bit counterintuitive, right? Because I think the first instinct is if they've got this this horrible pain, this is a good yeah. prospect. But the oh, reality yes. is they might be flailing. You know, they might 
not be savable right then they might have to get closer to the shore first or something right exactly yeah yeah as opposed to oh we've got this problem well if my product could do this better than what you're doing at the moment would you bought and you know all that all that usual jargon it just doesn't really work anymore yeah uh and to keep kind of like focusing in what what's the best way to get people to understand the cause of their pain how do, how do the best sales people do that well it's it's really the first thing that you do is you kick off that conversation and you get them to lean in. Uh, so you've done the preparation. So you show that you're interested in them, their business. So they think, okay, this isn't going to be just my standard box in my, my normal standard meeting. And then the second piece is we've read our, we've read the notes. We've got a theory for what the, what we think is causing it, but we then we're asking their opinion. So, it seems like it seems it seems to me that this may be a challenge. You know, what are your thoughts on you know X? Whatever is the reason they've started chatting to you, we dig down three levels deeper to get them to to talk about that. And then it's also looking into well, what do you think is going to prevent you from being successful, from achieving certain goal, from um, what do you think is going to you know prevent you from not losing X, Y, and Z? And then when they give that piece, then extrapolating into that, what and what does that mean? And then it's into what is causing that. So whatever we think that thing is, what is causing that and what else? And then towards the end of the conversation, it can be down to then, okay, well, um, have you looked at, you know, how have you tried to solve this before? You're hoping they have tried to solve it before, even with free solutions, because it means they've put a bit of effort or mind share into it. And then you can go really explicit. And with what they've said is what's the cause of their problem? Have you considered um, X and inserting what your, your product or service does to then, and then solve for Y. Right. Right. Kind of getting them to, come up with to their own conclusions it sounds like through those questions so yeah. and it's and, and what you see is you'll 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 either get there and you'll realize this is a great fit let's go ahead or you'll get no this isn't really a fit and then you don't need to do those three four or five meetings and waste that time and waste that resource upstream because they've ticked the boxes and they deserve a demo or a pilot or a proof of concept or whatever else so Right, right. I know we're getting uh, close to the end of our time, but I think one of the biggest uh, things that our audience struggles with, and this is probably the same across most, you know, B2B sales is having these meetings. And oftentimes we're getting our clients these meetings, but it's unrealistic that somebody's going to have a meeting with you and then give you a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars or whatever it is, right? It's going to be, there's people that are problem aware, uh, but not solution aware yet. There's people that are interested and curious and looking to scan what's out there. So some of this ties into the offer itself, which might be above the pay grade of, of a lot of salespeople, but how are the lead salespeople you've worked with creating that, that urgency or else figuring out an offer that allows people to get started sooner rather than later, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, look, that totally makes sense. Uh, and I guess I, like this is something which I, I would have been exposed to and done a lot of sales for. So um, I mean, it doesn't know it's Salesforce. CRM business is probably what most people know them as. Um, Salesforce itself is 46 different solutions. There is a ton of things that they can do for your business. Uh, and what the great salespeople do is they focus on the outcomes that they're working towards. They, they hone in on compelling events. They look at, well, what, you know, what is, you know, what is pain? And they'll extrapolate that a little bit and they'll get to a, a position of going right. They'll make a call early. 
and I've done this many times. And the call is this from my first couple of calls. Is this going to be a land and expand? Is this a case of we want to get this business on to just a small part of our solution because we'll get this really big quick win and then we can then continue on work with the customer and then budget becomes available or there's a milestone that they're working towards or the compelling event for the big value problem isn't until later in the year, but we can solve something smaller now. And then it's, you know, so that is, you make that decision, whether I'm going to go for this or that, and then you close out that sale or you don't. And then the other piece that you look at is, or no, we're going to do a complete solution. We're going to take a step back, work a six month sales process. We're going to get the right people in on both sides and do this properly. And what the elite salespeople are doing is they will do that. Uh, intentionally they won't let the the customer doesn't dictate that they decide that because of what they've seen um uh, and they stick they stick to that and then they work it through and it's you know it's you know it's remarkable and and sometimes that can be down down to uh, you know you know sometimes down to comp plans for example how you might how things are sometimes run um you know other some organizations don't let salespeople hold on to accounts they you know let's say they sign them and then they've got to hand them over to someone else so maybe that changes a little bit in that situation or if you're an industry, if you're you know an agency owner, maybe you need to get some revenue in because your business needs fuel. So you kind of said, that's just not a fit for me right now. Um, but if you don't, you will probably, what you tend to find is if you run that sales cycle longer, you get the right people involved on both sides, you will capture most value and then you will bring most revenue versus if you're trying to pull a problem forward, you'll capture a little bit less value, a little bit less revenue but then probably still have to deliver on that big thing. So it really is a judgment call, but elite sales professionals qualify well and are intentional in the action they take. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of of power in doing that and holding your ground and saying, no, this is how we start with with everyone, or this is how we need to start with you, even if you want to give us more money. So I think that's important. And it's it's down to that person being successful and the outcome that they're looking for. You'll have that feel for they'll be more successful if we bring them onto our whole platform now, or they'll be more successful if they get this quick win now or whatever. So again, it's putting the outcome first for, for the prospect. Thanks for listening to the work before the work podcast for show notes and additional resources, go to paulcaffrey.com forward slash podcast. If you got value from the episode, and take out your phone, give a rating in your podcast app. It's only one click. And if you have 10 seconds to spare, then add the sales tip that resonated most and how you think it will help your sales performance. This really, really helps the show. Thanks again, and I'll catch you in the next episode.